Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. So Labor Day. Labor Day is that extended weekend that, that we enjoy. Labor Day began in the late 19th century. It was part of the effort of the, the labor movement to give acknowledgement to and a break to those who work behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, those who work hard to make our country work. And it was established as a national holiday in 1894. And I was thinking about that because that's <clears throat> about the same time that Unity was founded. The Fillmores, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, were deep into their own journey of metaphysics and affirmative prayer during that same time period and launched their very first magazine, Modern New Thought, in 1889. So they were very much in the mix of this time period as well. And you know, I think for me right now, this Labor Day takes on an even greater significance in that going through this pandemic, <clears throat> you and I have had an opportunity to really look at those workers that make our country work, that many of us have taken for granted, right? And we're realizing we better not do that anymore. We depend on each other to have our lives move along with any sort of of normalcy and any sort of, of predictability, right? And so we need to really look at one another and the work that we do together in the world as each piece of it being important and each piece of it making a difference. Some people look at work as a four-letter word. Now, I know there's four letters in the word work, but you know what I mean when I use that expression, right? They look at it as a dirty word. And I got to thinking about that. I've never really looked at work in that way. In fact, I got to admit, I actually enjoy it. And I was thinking about my funny kind of work career. As, uh, as a kid, I did the typical things. As a girl, I babysat all the neighborhood kids. I also remember spending Saturdays um, with an iron in my hand and the ironing board set up as I would iron the shirts of a next-door neighbor for a dollar apiece. This guy had to wear a fresh white shirt every day for work, and I was the person that ironed those shirts for him, even in the summertime when it was pretty darn hot and our house had no air conditioning. When I got out of high school, my very first job out of high school was working as a secretary. I was all of like 18 years old and working for Mr. Bajorquez, a one-man office. I can't even remember what Mr. Bajorquez did, but I do remember that job of being his secretary. And then I moved up and I was the stenographer for the city of El Cajon and their planning department. And I would sit for hours in planning um, meetings and listening to the public being upset with the planning commissioners because they wanted to do something and zoning wouldn't allow it. And I'm scribbling away, taking shorthand as fast as I possibly could. And from there, I went on to be a chorus girl in ice capades. And then I went on to ministerial school. And in ministerial school, I was the tour guide for Unity Village for a number of years. And I worked in silent unity. And for the last 
40 years doing this in ministry. And I look back and I say, wow, all of those things were very, very different. But each led to something new and something different in each different job, right from babysitting all the way on to where I am today. Each is a mirror for me to look at. Who am I? Who am I becoming? And what can I offer? And I want to suggest that that's true for you as well. And you may be in a place right now where your job has ended or you're on furlough because of the pandemic and all of the businesses shutting down or, or scaling back. And now, if that's your case, is a great time to look back and say, all right, well, what are the things that bring me joy? What are the ways that I can make a difference? What are the things that I've learned about myself as I've held whatever jobs I've held in the past? Are there things that I want to change? Is there a way that I can bring something new or different into my life experience and to make a different difference in the world? And so I want to talk to you this morning about some words to work by that will address how to view your work in the world and how to do your work in the world, how to view it and how to do it. First teaching point, view your work as an expression of your spiritual practice. View your work as an expression of your spiritual practice. This one thing more than anything else with regard to your work will make the biggest difference. View your work, no matter what it is, as an expression of your spiritual practice. If you see your work as an expression of your spiritual practice, you will bring mindfulness to your work. If you view your work as an expression of your spiritual practice, you will do it all as if you were doing it for God as if you were doing it for spirit. If you see your work as an expression of your spiritual identity, your spiritual practice, you will hold the work you do in a larger context. You won't see it as just one tiny little thing you do. You will see it in the context of the difference that it makes for others. View your work as an expression of your spiritual practice no matter what it is that you are doing. Whether you are physically building something, whether you are on the front lines in the medical profession, whether you are working in an office, whether you are performing, whether you are a cook, it doesn't matter what the what. View it as an expression of your spiritual practice. One of my favorite books is a book of poetry written by Khalil Gibran called The Prophet. And in that book, The Prophet, there is a chapter on work. And I want to share some of the writings throughout this lesson from that chapter. Khalil Gibran writes, Always you have been told that work is a curse and labor a misfortune. But I say to you that when you work, you fulfill a part of Earth's furthest dream, a sign to you when that dream was born. And in keeping yourself with labor, you are in truth loving life. And to love life through labor is to be intimate with life's, most, with life's inmost secret. You know, I said earlier that most of us, during our working years, spend a lot of hours doing whatever our work is, right? And so of all the places that we can make a difference in the world, and of all the places in which we can really practice our spiritual 
teachings, work gives us the greatest number of hours a day to do that very thing. Second teaching point, view your work as an expression of yourself, your uniqueness, your originality, you. View your work as an expression of yourself, your uniqueness, your originality. What makes you you? What makes you you? And how can you let that shine? How can you bring more of that into the work that you do? How can you put your name on what you do, for example, whether that's literally or figuratively? How can you put your fingerprint on what it is that you do? How can you own what it is that you do? How can you bring your unique self? There's no one else in the world exactly like you. There's no one else in the world that has had your experiences, your triumphs, your challenges, your strengths, your weaknesses. You are unique. How can you bring that into the job you have right now? Or if you're furloughed and you're trying to figure out the next one, how can you capitalize on that uniqueness? How can you put your name on it? One of my favorite possessions in our home is an antique grandfather clock. It was a gift that my husband John bought for me when I was ordained. I'd always wanted an antique grandfather clock. And this is a really, really, really old English one, several hundred years old. And one of the things, it still keeps great time. And one of the things that I so appreciate about it is if you look closely on the brass face of that clock, you will see the name of the person who made it. I've looked that person's name up. I've tried to find him. I know that he's no longer alive, but I've wondered about his lineage. I've wondered about what might have become of him. I wondered what it felt like when he took the time to put his name on the face of that clock, knowing that it was going to be lasting a very long time. It was an expression of himself for all the world to see. It's like the story of the carpenter who wanted to retire and he told the, um, the person he worked for that he was ready to, to leave. And the general contractor said to him, you know, you've been a great, a great carpenter, a great employee. I have one last favor of you before you retire. I want you as a personal favor to build one more house for me. And so the carpenter decided he would do it. He liked the general contractor that he worked for. And he began with great enthusiasm, but along the way, he got kind of tired. He really started to do very shoddy workmanship. He cut corners every possible way. He got the job done just as fast as he could so he could get out of there. And when the house was finally built, the general contractor said to the carpenter, let's go walk me through it. And as they got to the front door, the general contractor gave the keys to the house, to the carpenter. And the carpenter looked at him rather puzzled and said, what's this about? And the general contractor said, you have been such a good employee and I've wanted to do something for you. So you actually built the house for yourself. It's my gift to you. Can you imagine how that carpenter might have felt in that moment? Certainly appreciative of such a generous gift, but would he have cut corners? Would he have rush the job, or would he have put his heart and soul into it? That's what we're talking about. Imagine if each of us really made a commitment 
whatever work we do in the world, that we were going to do it as if we were putting our name on it. Because in fact, in a way, we are. Wouldn't the world just flourish? Wouldn't it hum along? Wouldn't there be greater joy if we were each playing to our strengths? A third teaching point, view your work as an opportunity to learn just as much as an opportunity to earn. View your work as an opportunity to learn just as much as an opportunity to earn. I learned something from every single one of the jobs that I've done, though they were also very, very different. Yes, I earned some money along the way, but I learned so much along the way. View your work as an opportunity to develop yourself and do more than what is asked of you. I know that sometimes we don't want to. Jesus spoke a bit about this when he talked about the idea of going the second mile. If someone says to you, go one mile, go with him too. There's a whole um, sociological explanation of why he was teaching that. If we look at it metaphysically, though, he was essentially saying, do be willing to do more than what is expected of you. That still holds to be so powerful today. No matter what our work in the world may be, if we choose to do more than what is expected of us, regardless of whether they deserve it or not, one of two things will happen. We will either earn the right to be somewhere else where we are recognized and appreciated and supported, or we will find that they begin to see us through new and different eyes. View your work as an opportunity to learn just as much as it is an opportunity to earn, because in fact, it really is that. Teaching point number four, do your work well, whether people are looking or not. That's a biggie. Do your work well, whether people are looking or not. You know, it's an interesting situation many of us are in now working remotely, right? How does a person or company we're working for really know whether we are doing the work or not? A lot is built on the trust system, right? And I suppose there are some programs and mechanisms to check in, but an awful lot of it is on the honor system, the trust system. We should be living our, our work lives that way all the time, to do our work well, whether people are watching or not. It is to bring mindfulness into it. It's to bring a sense of ownership into it. It's to bring a sense of pride into it. I remember reading a story about um, a beautiful piece of sculpture in ancient Greece, and I for I've forgotten the sculptor's name, and I've forgotten the piece of sculpture. But what I remember about the story is it was a phenomenal statue, very large, very near completion. And the sculptor was painstakingly taking lots of time to perfect the strands of hair on the back of this statue's head. And the critics observed what he was doing and said, but nobody's ever going to see the back of her head. It's against, I don't know if it was a wall or a building, nobody's ever going to see it. What difference does it make? And the sculptor is reported to have said, it will make all the difference in the world because I will know whether it was done right or not. That story, though some of the details honestly have escaped me, the detail that I think matters the most, I've never forgotten. To do 
my work, you to do your work well, whether people are watching or not. Teaching point number five, do your work smarter, not harder. You've heard this before. Do your work smarter, not harder. Well, how do you do that? Well, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer, but some of what I think brings us to our answer is that we have to take a little bit of time occasionally to step back, to step back in a way and examine not only what we do, but how we are doing it. Is there a different way to do it? Is there a better way to do it? Are there programs or systems or resources that have been developed that we could begin to use that would make our work more effective and efficient? But if we've just got our nose to the grindstone and just keep plugging away, doing whatever we've done the same way we've always done it, because that's the way we've always done it, we will never get to a place where we might discover, you know what? There is an easier or better or more effective way to do it. I think an aspect of it is not just stepping back and away every once in a while to look from a broader point of view, but to bring a sense of curiosity to it and a sense of vulnerability to it. Curiosity, gee, I wonder, how are others doing this thing? I wonder if there is a different approach. I, want, I wonder if this even needs to be done anymore. That's a biggie sometimes. But to do our work smarter, not harder. So some curiosity, some stepping back, and some vulnerability, which says, you know what? Maybe the way I've been doing it was great up to this point, but maybe it's time for a bit of a change. And man, we're living in an opportunity right now that we can really seize this opportunity to look with fresh eyes at the work that we do in the world and how we do it and how we do it. Teaching point number six, do your work with love. Do your work with love. That's another way that we do our work as an expression of our spiritual practice, to do it with love. We don't have to love every part of our work to do every part of our work with love, to do our work with love. I like these words from Steve Jobs. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work, and the only way to do great work is to love what you do. And here are some words from Khalil Gibran on working with love. Khalil Gibran wrote, and what is it? to work with love. It is to, wear the, it is to weave the cloth with threads drawn from your heart, even, if, even as if your beloved were to wear that cloth. It is to build a house with affection, even as if your beloved were to dwell in that house. It is to sow seeds with tenderness and reap the harvest with joy, even as if your beloved were to eat the fruit. It is to charge all things you fashion with a breath of your own spirit. Do your work with love. And the very last teaching point I would share is this one. Number seven, do your work with joy. Put some fun into it if you can. Do your work with joy. Put some fun into it if you can. You might have to be creative in how you do it. I love the story of Walter Russell, 
accomplished in so many areas of life, writing, literature, art, many more things that are escaping my memory right now. But one of the stories of Walter Russell is this idea of putting some fun into work. Though he was successful in so many areas of life, he had a great big house, lots of property, lots of grass and lawns, and he didn't really like mowing that lawn until he decided to find a way to put some joy in it. And so instead of just getting on that great big lawnmower and going back and forth the usual way, he decided to cut geometric designs in the grass and then go back and erase the areas that he had not cut. And in his great little book, Man Who Tapped the Secrets of the Universe, he writes about how that simple act, Sure, it was still the same, but it didn't feel the same because he approached it differently. And that's what I wanted to share with you this morning, that there are, in fact, ways that are completely within our control that will make whatever work we do in the world more joyful and therefore better. So I hope as you prepare to celebrate the holiday tomorrow, however you choose to celebrate, number one, that you're going to be safe, but that you'll also explore these ideas of your work as an expression of your spiritual practice. And when you do, everything else about your work will become very different for you. Namaste.